Good morning. Good to see you this morning. Good to hear you this morning. Sounds great. Hey, if you're a guest of ours, we want you to feel right at home. We want you to know that uh, we have prayed about you being here today and what we were going to do as a family as we worship God and the fact that you're here joining us. Uh, we're honored to have you with us this morning. A guy fell into a pit and he couldn't get himself out. A subjective person came along and said, I feel for you down in that pit. An objective person came along and said, it's only logical that someone would fall into that pit. A Pharisee said, only bad people fall into pits. A mathematician calculated just how deep the pit was. An IRS agent wanted to know who was paying taxes on the pit. A news reporter wanted an exclusive story on the man falling into the pit. A self-pitying person said, you haven't seen anything until you've seen my pit. Fire and brimstone preacher said, you deserve your pit. A psychologist noted your mother and your father are probably the reason you're in that pit right now. An optimist said things could be worse. A pessimist said things will be worse. Jesus saw the man in the pit, reached down and helped him out. You know, people like me, preachers, we like to talk about Jesus and so often we leave Jesus and, and we talk about it on sort of a theoretical level and we talk about Jesus on sort of a theological level and sometimes we miss talking about Jesus on a practical level. We like to talk about how he can help you through your life but we don't talk quite enough about how he can help you through your day. We sort of relegate Jesus to the abstract and when we do that, we completely miss the power and, and the peace and, and just the joy that comes from being a child of God. I mean, the life that Christians are to be living, is, it's the most joyful life on the planet. And I don't want to be guilty of that, of, of not making Jesus practical. You know, we're winding down our series on the I Am Statements of Jesus. We're going to wrap this series up next week. And this morning, we find ourselves back in John chapter 10 where Jesus makes the statement, I am the good shepherd. It is a beautiful metaphor that Jesus uses. Probably a little bit more beautiful to the people that heard him say it than to us, because people in the first century in that culture probably understood the relationship between sheep and shepherding a little bit better than we do. I've told you before that I grew up on a farm, but I've never been around sheep. I've talked to people who have, and I've read some things about sheep, but, but I don't know very much about sheep. And I suspect there's not too many shepherds in the audience this morning. But even though we don't know a whole lot about sheep, there's still an awful lot of things that we can appreciate and learn about the significance and the beauty of Jesus being the Good Shepherd. So this morning we're going to focus a lot on the shepherd and a little bit on the sheep. You know, if you ask a small child, what kind of animal would it be fun to be? They might say well, it would be fun to be like a lion or a bear or a tiger. No child would say, wouldn't it be great to be a sheep? Well, nobody wants to be a sheep, right? I don't know any high school or college that has sheep as their mascot. Rams, yes. Sheep, no. Now you got bulldogs and you got eagles and you even have wolves. But I've never heard of anybody rooting for the thundering sheep. 
You just don't hear it. You go to a circus and you see elephants, you know, they're trained to dance and monkeys that are trained to do all kinds of things and dogs riding bicycles. You never see trained sheep at the circus. Why is that? Well, I've been told it's because sheep are very simple-minded, very simple-hearted. They're easily frightened. They're easily confused. They're defenseless. They're dependent. They need constant guidance. They need constant protection. And Jesus said, that's you. You're the ones who are easily confused and easily frightened. You're the ones who need constant protection, constant guidance. You say, wow, thanks. How flattering. Now, maybe it's not real pleasant to think of ourselves as sheep, although I'm going to argue that point in a minute. But it is very comforting to think of Jesus as the good shepherd. Let's go ahead and take a look at the text. John chapter 10. We've already been in John 10 in this series. Uh, We're going to pick it up in verse 11. This is, of course, Jesus speaking. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. He will leave the sheep because they aren't his and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's merely hired and has no real concern for the sheep. In verse 14, he'll say it a second time. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me and I know the father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold and I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. The Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it back, have it back again. No one can take my life from me. I lay down my life voluntarily. For I have the right to lay it down when I want to and also the power to take it again. For my Father has given me this command. Again, I want to stress context. We are very familiar with Jesus saying, I am the Good Shepherd. We have heard that all our lives. You've heard that sermon. You've sung that song. We're comfortable with Jesus being the Good Shepherd. The people that heard Jesus say that weren't comfortable with that. When Jesus said, I am the Good Shepherd, He had their attention. He was speaking to a predominantly Jewish audience. And when he said, I am the good shepherd, the people that were listening to him would have immediately thought of their favorite psalm written by their favorite king that begins, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's what David said. Now, Jesus' audience is going to understand the kind of claim that he's making when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. His audience would have been familiar with Isaiah chapter 40. In Isaiah chapter 40, the prophet paints this beautiful picture of how God cares for his people and he uses the image of a shepherd caring for sheep. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in all his glorious power. He will rule with awesome strength. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. He will feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll carry the lambs in his arms holding them close to his heart. 
He'll gently lead the mother's sheep with their young. Beautiful imagery there in the book of Isaiah. And when Jesus makes the claim that He's the Good Shepherd, it wasn't just a statement of what He did. It was very much a proclamation of who He claimed to be. And who He claimed to be, and these people understood it, He was claiming Himself on par with Jehovah God. Now, first there's a segment of His audience that just sort of dismisses Him. They hear Jesus make this claim of being the Good Shepherd, and it's like, no, that guy's nuts. I mean, you can't really take him seriously. Look, look back at John chapter 10 in our text, verse 19. When he said these things, the people were again divided in their opinions about him. Some of them said he has a demon or he's crazy. Why listen to a man like that? Others said, this doesn't sound like a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So again, you have Jesus as this very polarizing figure. He always has been. Or he still is. And there's a group that hear Jesus make the statement, I'm the good shepherd, and they say, forget that. Come on. He's just one of those guys. I mean, you're not really going to take him seriously, are you, when he makes a statement like that? And then you have another set of people going, I don't know. Have you seen the things this guy's done? Have you been paying attention to what this man has been up to? That's... That's pretty hard to dismiss. They're not exactly sure who Jesus is, but when he makes this statement, they are certain who he claims to be. Because by the time you skip down just a couple verses, they're ready to kill him. Once again, the Jewish leaders picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, At my Father's direction, I've done many things to help the people. For which of these good deeds are you killing me? Jesus says, you know, I've, I've helped a lot of people. I've done a lot of good things. Which of the good things am I about to get stoned for? Which is a pretty bold statement when people have picked up stones to throw at you. They replied, not for any good work. Yes, you've done good things. Nobody's arguing that. Not for any good work, but for blasphemy. Because you, a mere man have made yourself God. These people understood who Jesus was claiming to be. These people also would have been very familiar with Ezekiel, the 34th chapter. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with Ezekiel, the 34th chapter, but it is a beautiful chapter. And any time you study John 10, you ought to spend some time in Ezekiel 34, because it's really hard to completely appreciate what Jesus is saying in John 10 without spending a little bit of time in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel was written about 600 years before Jesus came to the earth. And in that chapter, Ezekiel is going to talk about the shepherd that is God. And he's also going to prophesy about the shepherd that is to come, the son of David, the Messiah. And I wish we had time to read the whole chapter. You really need to put a star beside Ezekiel 34 and go back and, and read that whole thing in the context of John 10. But in the first half of Ezekiel 34, uh, Ezekiel was going to prophesy against the false shepherds of Israel. Those people who cared more for themselves than, than they did sheep. And he says this in verse 4 of Ezekiel 34. You have not strengthened the weak, or healed the sick, or bound up the injured. 
You've not brought back the strays or searched for the lost. You've ruled them harshly and brutally. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And when they were scattered, they became food for all the wild animals. My sheep wandered all over the mountains and on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth and no one searched or looked for them. God, speaking through Ezekiel, said, You false shepherds, you, you haven't strengthened the weak. You haven't healed the sick. You haven't helped the injured. You haven't brought back the strays. You haven't searched for the lost. And in the second half of that chapter, God says, so I'm going to do it myself. I'm going to be the shepherd, and there will be none like me. Look at verse 11. For this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so I will look after my sheep. God makes it really clear, the good shepherd searches for his sheep. Back in verse 6 of this same chapter, uh, talking about those false prophets of Israel, God said, My sheep wandered all over the mountains on every high hill. They were scattered over the whole earth. And no one searched for them. No one looked for them. You know, you used to hear a whole lot of stories and a whole lot of jokes about the fact that men never stopped and asked directions when they were lost in their car. You know, since smartphones have shown up, you don't hear those jokes nearly as much. Now it's just, you know, take me to the closest Denny's. But back in the day, for those of you who are younger, we used to have these things called maps. And you had to take it out of the glove box, and you had to figure out where you were, and then you had to try to figure out where you wanted to be, and it was really confusing. And so we always heard that men didn't like to stop and ask for directions. And I've got a theory on that. And my theory is based really more on personal experience than anything else. But here's my theory. I was one of those guys, still am, I never stop and ask for directions. I don't know exactly how to use my smartphone. So, but still, I don't ask for directions. And here's my theory. When I am lost, I never really feel like I'm lost. Even when I know I'm not where I'm supposed to be, I have this sort of messed up compass in my head and I think I know about where I want to go. I, I know the general area. And by the way, i got to tell you, I am the world's worst with directions. I really am. Randy and I were driving this past week. And I was driving, and I said, okay, I'm going to turn right here. He goes, no, you want to turn left. Okay, and, and at the end of this road, turn left again. No, then you'll turn right. And we just come that way. I, I'm the world's worst with directions, but I never feel like I'm lost. I'm going to get where I want to go eventually. I'm not going to die in my car. No, I'm not really lost. Now, my wife, on the other hand, who is great with directions, when she's lost, she knows it. She feels lost. She's uncomfortable with that. She wants to get where she's supposed to be as soon as possible. So Martha has no problem stopping and asking for directions. I never really feel lost. I'll figure it out on my own somehow. The good shepherd searches for his sheep. But for a lot of people, most people, almost all people, <laughs> we don't feel like we're lost. We're not the lost sheep. Uh, the lost sheep is everybody outside this building, right? 
But stay with the stay with the the text here. Stay with the analogy. The shepherd said, "These are my sheep. I'm searching for. They belong to me." Remember in Luke 15, the the famous parable that Jesus tells about the shepherd who has a hundred sheep. One is lost, so he leaves the ninety-nine and goes and searches for that one lost sheep that belongs to him. It's his sheep. In fact, Jesus says he doesn't quit searching until he's found that lost sheep. I mentioned earlier in our culture, we don't really understand too much about sheep, but apparently they're pretty good at wandering away. Apparently they're, they're pretty good at just sort of drifting and ending up in places that they really weren't meant to be. And I think the true, same thing is true for us as well. You know, we sort of develop this concept that once I accept God's gift of salvation, God kind of leaves me alone and goes searching for someone else. But the beauty of the gift is God is always trying to draw us into a deeper relationship with Him. God's always searching for a deeper part of our heart. He's always searching for a a bigger piece of our commitment. He's always searching for us. Go back to Ezekiel 34, verse 16. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. Now, maybe you don't feel lost in your relationship with the Lord, but how many of you ever felt injured? (laughs) How many ever felt weak? Isn't it great to know that the shepherd is searching? David said in Psalm 139, verse 23, Search me, O God, and and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. The good shepherd searches and the good shepherd rescues. I don't know if I ever really remember hearing the, the term first responder. Before 9-11, if, it, if I'd heard it, it didn't really register with me. But since that day, we're all very familiar with the term first responder. Those brave men and women, the police and paramedics and firefighters and, and EMT people who rush toward danger instead of away from it. Those people who see themselves with the responsibility to rescue people who are in danger. That's what the shepherd does as well. Verse 10 of Ezekiel 34, I will rescue my flock. And then if you skip down to verse 12, as a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he's with them, so will I look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of cloud and darkness. Do you ever feel like you need rescued? No, I don't need rescued. Well, have you ever felt scattered on a day of cloud and darkness? Yeah, all the time. <laughs> what a blessing to know that the Good Shepherd rescues us. He's in the rescuing business. He's the original first responder. Now, I mentioned that I want to talk a lot about the shepherd and just a little about us sheep. Let me talk about sheep for just a minute. And I want to ask you a question, and I'm going to tell you right up front, it's going to sound like kind of an odd question 
which of course has never stopped me before. So here's my odd question for you to consider. Do you enjoy being a sheep? Do you ever think about that? Do you enjoy being a sheep? Now, I mentioned earlier that you know it's not very flattering to think of ourselves as sheep. I'm going to contest that in this instance, it's very flattering. It's very comforting. It's very reassuring to be a sheep. I mean, when's the last time you just sat back and thought, it is so great just to be a sheep. It is such a blessing to know that that He makes me lie down in green pastures. And it's such a blessing to know that He leads me beside still waters. When's the last time you just allowed yourself to enjoy the restful following of the Good Shepherd? When's the last time you just stopped and really appreciated the green pastures that you're in? The still waters that you're near? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, and some of you are walking through the valley of the shadow of death, you know what? If you're following the Good Shepherd, the reality is that valley... That's really the shepherd's problem, not yours. It's his responsibility. He's made the commitment to keep us safe, to protect us, to carry us through those times. All I've really got to do is follow the good shepherd. All we really have to do is be sheep. Trust the shepherd. Well, how do I know I can trust him? Look again in our our text in John 10. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Again, we are so familiar with that statement. We hear it so much. That statement, that, that truth, that ought to blow you away. When Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd and I'll lay down my life for my sheep. Now fast forward to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, the Good Shepherd, is preparing to lay down His life for His sheep. Mark's account, Mark chapter 14, verse 33. He took Peter, James, and John along with Him and He began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, He said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Jesus is deeply distressed, troubled. says, my soul, the, the deepest part of me, is overwhelmed. I'm dying here. This is too much. I am dying here. I am overwhelmed to the point of death. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Jesus falls to the ground. He prays to the Father, if it's possible. If it's possible, let this hour pass. If it's possible, let's change the plan. If it's possible, let's come up with a different way. And then in the very next verse, He says, Abba, Father, everything's possible for You. Take this cup from Me. Jesus first says, if it's possible, then He says, of course it's possible. You're God. Everything is possible for you. 
We can change. You can change. We can do it differently. You can do it differently. You're God. Everything's possible with you. And we're told he prays this three times. Now, most of you are parents in this room. Could you imagine your son or your daughter coming to you and say, Dad, Mom, I'm dying here. I can't do this. I can't take it. You've got to change it. You've got to step in. You've got to do something. I am overwhelmed to the point of sorrow, to the point of death with sorrow here. I'm dying here. Abba, Father, stop this. Take this cup from me. Everything is possible for you. But then, of course, Jesus says, yet not what I will, but what you will. Jesus loves the Father so much. And He loves the sheep so much that He says, not what I will, but what you will. If it has to be done, I'll do it. If there's no other way, I'll bear it. If it's your will, count me in. And of course, Jesus knew what God's will was. He'd always known what God's will was. Isaiah 53, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to fill him with grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he'll have a multitude of children, many heirs. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that's accomplished by his anguish, he'll be satisfied. And because of what he has experienced, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all their sins. God knew what or Jesus knew what God's will was long before the garden of Gethsemane. He'd always known what God's will was. It was God's will to crush him. It was God's will to fill him with grief. Jesus knew that. That's why he said in John 10, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and they know me. Just as my Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. We worship a Lord who, who willingly went to the cross, who laid down His life for us, who allowed Himself to be crushed with grief, who bore our sins. We worship and we serve a good, good shepherd. So as sheep, I get to lay down in green pastures. Because of the Good Shepherd, I get to drink by still waters. And I don't have to worry about my enemies. I don't even have to worry about the walking through the valley of the shadow of death. All I have to do is follow the Good, Good Shepherd. To rest in the safety and security and the blessings of being a sheep. I didn't earn it, and I certainly don't deserve it. I just follow the good, good shepherd. And that's the real Jesus. That's who we worship. That's who we follow. That's who we get to introduce other people to. The good, good Shepherd who laid down his life for the sheep 
so that we could enjoy the blessings of following Him. As a church family, we want to help you in any way that we can. We've got a song that we're going to use as a song of encouragement. Maybe there's something on your heart that you just need to, to have people praying with you about. Maybe there's something else that you need to just share with, with people that love you and love the Lord. Uh, there's going to be some people at the front of the auditorium here. If you come and meet us there, uh, we'll help you any way that we can. Let's stand and sing.